He went also, not publicly, but in secret. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you, David. This morning, uh, before we begin our sermon, I want to remind you, we have a Newburgh family retreat coming up that's going to be out at Camp Yam Hill, and registration is now open. Uh, if you go to the NewburghCFC.com website, uh, there's a little uh, picture looks just like this, actually, uh, on the website. And you can see, uh, if you click there, you can register for the retreat. Um, This is a Friday evening and Saturday retreat. Uh, We'll be back here at the building on Sunday morning. We have a guest speaker. Uh, Some of you may know Dave Blanchard. He was a youth minister at the uh, Eastside Church of Christ about 20 years ago. Uh, He was Lorenda's youth minister, actually. Um, And Dave is, uh, he's currently doing uh, a lot of guest speaking for a lot of different churches and just encouraging them to be involved in congregational ministry. That, That means ministry of the congregation, the whole congregation, being involved in ministry to their community. Um, And Dave's going to come and he's going to share with us. Uh, He's going to be very funny because Dave is very funny. He's a very engaging speaker, but he's also very thoughtful. And so I want to encourage you uh, to come and join us for that weekend. We're also, we're going to do a lot of the typical like camp type stuff. We're going to spend some time um, goofing around with one another, playing some games. We're going to eat some camp food. Uh, But we are hoping that you'll register and join us for all or part of the retreat. Um, And you can specify if you're not able to come out Friday night, but you're going to be there Saturday, you can specify that as you're registering. So I want to encourage you as soon as you possibly can Go and register on the website. In fact, if you do it at the beginning of my sermon, I might be a little hurt, but I won't tell you that because I want you to register so badly. And so, um, again, register at NewburghCFC.com. You'll see a little picture. You click on that picture, and you can go to the registration form. All right, so all of that said, let's go ahead, and we will begin our sermon today. Uh, And I want to start by telling you this. Um, Jesus does and says things that no one who wants to be popular should say or do. That's actually the message of this particular passage in John chapter 7. If you want to be a public figure, his brothers tell him, then you need to start doing things publicly. This is, this is what David has read to us this morning. And I'm, I'm going to jump to my last couple of slides here. Uh, only because I want to give you an idea of the ways in which Jesus has behaved up to this point in John's gospel. There's the wedding feast at Cana, right? And the wine has run out, and Jesus' mother says, hey, are you going to do something about this? And Jesus says, what does this have to do with me? My time has not yet come. And then he does it anyway, but he does it privately, right? We mentioned the fact that the only people who know that he's responsible for the good wine, the best wine, are the servants of the household and his own disciples. And and I guess Mary as well. Mary would be a disciple. She believed in Jesus and followed him. Uh, In addition to that, there's this moment where Jesus has an interaction with a man who comes to him by night, Nicodemus. And Jesus reveals the wonderful, splendid, extraordinary gospel that we all really love to share with others in the private of night in a one-on-one conversation. If you read John chapter 3, you can't help but see that Jesus is telling the big story before Nicodemus can even really understand what he's talking about. 
In addition to that, there's this moment where Jesus encounters a woman at the well, right? And it's the two of them at the sixth hour of the day when it's the hottest and nobody is going to the well. Jesus sits there and has this private conversation. And because his disciples aren't there for the whole conversation, they're mystified at what's going on. Why, why is he talking to this woman at the well? Shouldn't he be down in the city getting food? Isn't he hungry? And Jesus says, I have food that you don't even know about. Jesus does this in private, alone, quietly, just him and one other person. The man whom Jesus healed did not know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn. This is the healing at the pool, right? Uh, Jesus heals a man who has not walked for you know, his, his entire life, essentially. He doesn't even tell him his name. And he withdraws. Now, people have their suspicions about who's done it. They're pretty sure that this Jesus who's been causing trouble all over the place is responsible for healing this man on the Sabbath, but the man himself doesn't even know his name. And then there's this moment where Jesus does do something very public. He feeds the multitude. He provides them with bread. He provides them with fish. And they're so enthusiastic, so ecstatic about what it is that he's done, that they want to take him by force. It says, perceiving that they were about to take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again. See, if I were trying to become a public figure, and people wanted to force me to be king, I don't know that I would withdraw. I don't know about you, but I feel like if people want to elevate me, lift me up, and say, hey, we're going to put you on our shoulders and and give you power and authority, I'm not going to be the person who says, ah, you know, let me just go hide myself away. And I think if most of us were honest, that's probably how we feel. Like, if someone's going to put us in charge, we're going to be okay with that. Because we'd like it if everyone just did what we wanted them to do all the time. Life would be a lot easier if people just did what I wanted them to do. Selfishly, that's how most of us think. And Jesus says, I don't think so. And withdraws. It's very peculiar for someone who is coming to be the Messiah Someone who is anointed with the purpose that the Old Testament has prophesied for for centuries. To step back and say, not right now. Let me have another private conversation. You know, I know you all want to make me king, but I'm just not feeling it. And so when we read John chapter 7... It should not be surprising to us the way that Jesus behaves. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. So here's the deal. If you are the Messiah of the Jews, the most logical place for you to spend all of your time would be Jerusalem. If you're the one that's going to come sit on the throne of David, the most logical place for you to go is where the throne of David is, right? That makes the most sense. And yet Jesus spends a tremendous amount of his ministry way up north, far away from the big city, having interactions with people who are not people of great power in their own regard. He would not go about in Judea. 
And here's the funny thing. So in the previous chapter, they all wanted to make him king, right? That's exactly what we read at the end of the previous chapter. There's a little bit in there with his disciples about some discussion. But they wanted to make him king, all these people up along the coastline. But the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, I pointed out that there's the people and then there's the Jews. And when John uses that term, the Jews, he's not talking about the broader Jewish community. He's talking about those who have some kind of spiritual, religious, or political authority within the Jewish culture. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the individuals who are responsible for religious and political thought within the nation. Jesus is very much about interacting with the people. And the people very much are about Jesus. They love what he's doing. They they genuinely enjoy what it is that he's saying. But John's use of the phrase, the Jews, these people don't want Jesus around. He's dangerous because the people want to make him king. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. In fact, in the, in the Greek it says that your disciples there. So there are people in Judea who already believe and know Jesus. Also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he desires to be known Openly, the NIV says, if he wants to be a public figure. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Jesus' brothers think a lot like I do. If I'm going to try and grab someone's attention... I'm really going to try to grab their attention. If I want someone to believe me, if I want someone to think highly of me, if I want someone to to place me on a pedestal, I'm going to be as open and big and bold as I possibly can about it. I'm going to let a lot of people know on Facebook the good things I'm doing. I'm going to post a lot of pictures of me feeding hungry children on Instagram. I'm going to make really like courageous, bold tweets on Twitter. I'm going to make all sorts of YouTube videos that express you know, how wonderful I am. In fact, in a lot of ways, I think most of us have lived in, in our culture long enough to know that what Jesus' brothers are asking him to do is to behave like a modern-day politician. Make an advertisement for yourself. Show the people all the money that you give to private charities. Let them know how many homes you've built for other people. Make it a point to share all of the good, positive things that you support politically. And Jesus Jesus tells them no. Our culture says if you want to be powerful, if you want to affect change in the world, you have to be a good self-promoter. But you know, of the people that Jesus had following him, one of the things I've noticed is he doesn't have a publicist. He's got a treasurer. He's got a bunch of fishermen. He's got guys who are pretty good at, at giving out food 
He's got a bunch of guys who are pretty good at listening to what it is that he says, who observe the things he says, observe the things he does, and then he's able to send them out to do a lot of those things as well. But what Jesus doesn't have is someone who's going into towns ahead of him saying, hey, by the way, you should believe in this Jesus guy. In fact, the the person that we're told at the beginning of the gospel did a lot of like foreshadowing for Jesus doesn't go into the cities to do it. He goes out into the wilderness It's a pretty backwards kind of way to publicize your Jewish Messiah. Why do we have to go out into the wilderness to hear John's explanation of what's about to happen? For me, it's kind of refreshing to know that Jesus doesn't operate in the way that public figures in our world operate. No one works in secret if he wants to be known openly. This is his brother's advice to him. Look, if you want to make something of yourself, you've got to start being a public figure. And they say this because they don't yet believe in him. They don't believe. Now, here's the thing. They believe that he's going to be able to go and do some good works, right? Like, this is something that they don't doubt his ability to do miraculous things, but they don't believe the truth about who Jesus is. It's one thing to believe that Jesus can do a lot of good parlor tricks, turn some water into wine, multiply bread in a way that's pretty impressive. Those things, like, yeah, I I think Jesus can do some pretty impressive things. I think he could have a following. I think he could probably make a name for himself. Do I believe he's the Messiah? Uh, I don't know. I remember growing up in the same household as him. He stubbed his toe a couple of times, he scraped up his knees. He's got calluses on his hands. Do I think the Messiah would have calluses on his hands? Look, sometimes he smells bad after a hard day's work, and he's got to wash just like the rest of us. Trust me, I'm his brother. I know a thing or two about Jesus. I think he could be a public figure. But do I believe he's the Messiah? I imagine this is the internal dialogue that's going on here, and John lets us know I think, that this is what's happening in their heads. Yeah, it would be great for our brother to have political clout. Think of how that would benefit me. Maybe I wouldn't have to pay so many taxes. Maybe if Jesus arose to a specific position within society, I might have the convenience of not having to work a really difficult job for the rest of my life. But do I think he's going to be the one that causes you know, the, the great promises of the Old Testament to come to fruition? I don't know. Jesus' brothers don't really understand what he's doing. And this is what Jesus says to them. My time has not yet come. But your time is always here. Look, what, what's beneficial for you? Yeah, it's It's great. Wonderful. You, you live your life. But look, I have a time. I have a purpose. I have something that I am looking forward to. And if I go about doing things the way you suggest, it doesn't fit with the timing, the purpose, the vision, 
the plan. The world cannot hate you, he says, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. And I find it really funny that it says, after saying this, he remained in Galilee, and then John just throws a but in there. But after his brother had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. See, Jesus says, look, I'm, I'm not going up. You go up. Does this mean Jesus lies to his brothers? Well, I don't, I don't think that's the case. I think he's obfuscating the truth a little bit. He doesn't want them to know he's going to be there because he doesn't want them to follow through with their plan for him. Look, you know, if Jesus isn't going to make himself a public figure, we're going to make him a public figure. You come up to the feast with us and we're going to start promoting you. That's our vision, Jesus. You come up, you do some good works, and people are going to know who you are. And because you're there with us, good things are going to happen for the whole family. Maybe we move mom out of Nazareth and into a bigger, a bigger house here in Jerusalem. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Jesus, you come along with us. And Jesus says, you guys go. I'm, I'm not even going to be there. But on his own terms, he goes. And it says, the Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man, others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly about him. I want to ask you this morning to consider this. Do we think Jesus needs a publicist? Do we think that we need to correct other people's discussions about Jesus? Or do you think maybe Jesus is pretty good about doing things the way that he's going to do them? For a long time in my life, I I felt like maybe I needed to be an apologist. That I I needed to, uh, and and I don't mean that like make a defense of specific doctrines and such, Uh, I felt like I needed to apologize for the difficult things that Jesus says sometimes. There are a lot of teachings in Jesus' sermons that are not easy. So sometimes I just avoided talking about them. There are times where Jesus defies my expectations or the expectations of people that I love and know. So maybe I just don't talk about those times. You know, there are times where the cross just sounds like foolishness. Paul actually says that. And so maybe I just don't talk about it. Talk about all the easy-to-love things about Jesus, absolutely. About the images of him taking the children and, and, and speaking kindly to them while his own disciples are trying to hurry them away. Uh, you know, talking about how Jesus heals the sick, gives sight to the blind, feeds the multitudes. Absolutely, let's talk about those things. But that moment where he calls a bunch of religious teachers snakes and vipers, 
Jesus, isn't that the kind of you know, mudslinging that we just don't do? You want to be the good guy running for candidacy here. We're not running, you know, not running that kind of campaign, are we? Jesus says, the world hates me because I call their acts evil. Do you want to publicize that? This is his statement to his brothers. The world hates me because I call what they do evil. That's not the kind of campaign you're hoping I'll have. We are not called to apologize for Jesus and the way that he behaves and the things he teaches. In fact, one of the things that we are called most to do is present Jesus exactly as he is in all of his facets. And sometimes we find an image of Jesus that we really like, and that's the image we stick with. And and if anything defies that, even if it's within Scripture, maybe we just turn a blind eye to it. But you know what? The Jesus of the Gospels is the real Jesus. And when we ignore parts of his teaching, parts of his ministry, his interactions with the religious leaders, with the people, with, with the Romans, and we think we do it for the sake of the Gospel... We are these brothers that say, hey, Jesus, you've got to do a better job of promoting yourself. Let us help. When in fact, what I think Jesus would tell his brothers is, you know, I don't need to be more like you. You need to be more like me. Why do you need to go up to Jerusalem publicly? Is this to make a big show of your religious practices? Why not do it quietly? The same God that instituted this feast of the Jews that takes place in Jerusalem doesn't come boldly saying, I'm responsible for this. This celebration that you are remembering, that's me. Instead, he comes privately. And all the people can do is speculate about why he's not there. They argue about whether or not his intentions are good. Jesus doesn't even really intervene for himself until the next thing that we're going to study. And Kyle's going to bring us a sermon next week. Jesus just fades into the background. I want to ask you again this morning, do we feel like we need to be publicists for Jesus? The man who does so much of his good works in private, who offers his most profound teaching under the cover of night or in the middle of the day alone at a well. We have accounts of Jesus preaching to large crowds, but we also have so much in the Gospel of John about Jesus being quiet and still and working with one person at a time, not taking credit for his good works. When people are willing to carry him off as the king, he fades into the background. My encouragement to you this morning is this. Jesus is calling you to behave in similar ways. 
not to be your own best publicist, but to be quietly, privately, sometimes even anonymously righteous. To do good works, not for the credit or the praise, but because it's what righteousness demands. Let's pray.